Did you grow up in Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Born yeah. and bred? Uh, born in England. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, born in England on the way here. Right, yeah. Right, you know. You were that uh, generation. I'm that, like... yeah. What does that mean, I'm that generation? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> No, I only I only say that because like my older sister um, okay. was born in Nairobi and then, you know, my parents came with her when she was like one and there's like a whole generation yeah. that's, you know, um, like the basically first gen Canadian, but like they weren't born here. They weren't yeah. born in, in, in Canada. So they kind of have like the cool factor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we got that <laughs> uh, factor that the booster shot uh, tattoo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> totally. That like scar. It's yeah. true. You're yeah, born back when in... the needles were really thick. Calgary. Born in Calgary. Okay. So you, you, you know what it's like in the winter time. Up, uh, yeah. Up I've here. forgotten. I know. I've <laughs> forgotten. I, I just, it's like lobotomy. And I'm not going back to that. I don't even visit in the in the winter anymore. I just why bother? <laughs> why would you? Except I went home the last time I was home, which was quite a while ago. Went to Calgary in May, and yeah. it was snowing. It was snowing anyways. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can do. That is my hometown. Calgary's weird like that. In the winter time, it was like one day. They're out in their t-shirt and shorts, and the next day there's a blizzard. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the summertime there'll be like a, a weird day where it snows. Yeah, it is really that is pretty much it. I've been, and my I, my my friends were telling me that the other day it was like minus forty four, and <laughs> people were being told it's not funny. It's just like people were being told not to go out for too long because your lungs will freeze. Like. Why do we, why would we do that to ourselves? Just that, you know, six months of winter. And it was so funny to leave Canada because when, you know, when you move somewhere else and realize not everyone lives that way, you're like, no one told us that we could get out, (laughs) you know, and escape (laughs) this at some point. You just assume that's your life. So it is really funny. It is, it is not funny at all it is so not funny but it is crazy how you can just forget all of the winters that you had as a child and were you a winter like when you when you didn't know that there was something you know a place outside of Calgary outside of Canada were you a winter sports person did you go skiing skating I snowboarded Okay. Um, I, I wasn't very good at it, but yeah. it just helped get through winter, you know, oh. and to just go into the mountains or even when I was in New Brunswick, the, the hills um, to, you know, do something to pass the time and make you feel like, you know, you wanted winter to be there when how you really did you in? How long were you in New Brunswick for? Two years. Was that for school or? No, uh, that's where I started my career. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've heard was, that was my first there, TV job. I've heard winters there are brutal. Yeah, they were nuts. And you would have to take all these back roads to get places. And they were super icy and like forget about them ever being plowed. And, you know, there'd be moose on the road. And if you were driving at night, like you would just have to hope that you didn't see one because like you would not survive. And I just remember one time I was driving from Bathurst to Fredericton in the winter. And that's a three hour drive because Fredericton was where the the main office was. And I just, you know, I... I was like, oh, I can't tell if this is black ice or not. I'm just going to put the brakes on and see. And I barely touched the brakes and I went spinning and I went into the ditch on the other side of the road. Thankfully, there was like no other cars. And then I was like, okay. And I, I was in an SUV and it was a four by four. And then I just drove out of it and I kept going and that was it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so that was black ice for future reference. 
and oh I'm going to have to be a little more careful. But it's just like all these things that you 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 have to account for when you're working in winter conditions. So I, I can't even tell you. It, it's like your fingers freeze because you have to you can't wear gloves because you're using the camera and you have to push all the little buttons and then your lens fogs up as you're like ready to go on camera and you just you you put up with a lot, you know? But wow. it's all all for the craft. I can imagine. So I've been I've been hearing uh news or or, or seeing stuff about the weather in the states. Mm. Uh, Texas is like, what is happening there? And how is it in Atlanta? Is it, did you guys get any of that? No, I mean, it's fine here. We have had power outages before because of the weather, which, um, can be really taxing even when it's only 24 hours. Like it's, it's scary because you don't know what to do with all your food. You can like see that it's going bad in your fridge. You don't know how long it's going to last, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I think what's compounded things is that it's not happening when the weather is good, it's freezing over there. And so people aren't able to heat their homes, don't know how long it's going to be. Um, you know, their senator is back from Cancun at least, but it's really, it's, it's more, it's more scary, I think, because um, the weather is just particularly cold right now and, you know, pipes freeze and, uh, and when you're not used to those kinds of conditions, you're not always sure how to handle them, you know? Yeah. And we've actually had to uh, be, way more prepared than I have ever been any time in my life for natural disasters here, because I feel like if the pandemic and the beginning of the pandemic, when, you know, supplies were running out really quickly and you'd go to the grocery stores and there would be entire shelves empty of necessities is that you really have to be able to take care of yourself if something goes wrong, at least for a few days. And so when we were in LA, like we had an earthquake kit in our house that was just, you know, wheelable in case things were so bad that we couldn't be in our home. We had one at work. And when we got here, we actually had, um, you know, a lot of uh, extra supplies that you would need if the power goes out. So when it did happen here, we were like somewhat prepared. But you know, you have to take a lot of those things into consideration that that wow. preparation and it's, yeah, it's um, just, I guess, one more thing to worry about. <laughs> why why would the power go out in Atlanta? Like, what would be happening there for that to happen? Oh, just because um, there's some really, because we get, like, storms from the Gulf of Mexico and from, from you guys from the north. Yeah. And sometimes all at once. No, so um, the winds get really, really bad and that can knock out the power combined with really, really heavy rain. Yeah. Because you're, you, you don't, you know, you don't, you, you get the remnants of, you know, some of the hurricanes that might touch Florida and those surrounding areas. And so mm -hmm. it can last for a long time. Oh, wow. I can't believe that we're talking. Of course, we're Canadians because we're, we're talking, talking about, about weather. the weather for yes. this long. <laughs> I don't think I've talked about the weather for this long with anyone in years. Does it make you miss home talking about the weather? <laughs> it, 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 it really makes me think of home. Yeah, for sure. Nice, nice. Um, you went to school in Ottawa for journalism. No. Correct? No. Okay, tell Incorrect. me. Incorrect. Try again. <laughs> okay, I'll help you. Okay. Um, I, I did go to the University of Ottawa for yeah. um, my undergrad, which was in history. And, okay. um, and then I did my master's in journalism at Western. At Western. That. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you always know, like, did you decide at university what you wanted to do? Or did you know ahead of time? No, I've always known that I wanted to do journalism. Okay. And what was so interesting is that I almost kind of panicked when I got to university because I had such a um, complex of self-doubt that a big part of me just wondered if I'd be able to do it. And I was for years had been like, I'm going to be a journalist when I grow up and this is going to be what I do. And then 
I was there like that, that I was a grown up. That was what I was supposed to be heading towards. And I was yeah. so fearful that, um, like, what if I fail at the one thing that I really want to do? And I almost feel like I, I didn't, um, I almost prolonged the path towards journalism during that time because I was really worried that I wouldn't succeed um, or be good at it. Why, why is that? Like, was it, was it something that was ingrained in you or? I don't know. I think part of it was that no one was doing it in our community at the time. Like there was really nobody that I could look to or call up or, um, email to ask, like, how did you get there? What did you do? What can I do? It, you were really carving your own path. And that's really scary when all your friends and, you know, are, are going into computer engineering and medicine and law. Like my older sister is a lawyer, you know, and, and my parents, you know, you just want to, you want to make them proud. And I didn't want to fail at something that people were already unsure of for me kind of going like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Like, are you sure you can do this? Like that's a really big, you know, industry. And, and so eventually, you know, I, I just had to sort of push myself and say like, it's now or never. And so I, I applied for my master's to find that. So you, you, did you do history because you were afraid to do journalism and fail or was there sort of a path? I think, you know, I was always really, I think part of the fear was that, because I remember I had applied to the undergrad program at Carleton for journalism and I got mm-hmm. in and that was sort of the assumption, well, you got in, like, don't you yeah. think you should go? And I think a big part of me just thought like, how can I write about something or cover something when I don't actually have expertise in anything except being a journalist. Like Mm. I felt I needed a foundation of knowledge and history for me was just something that you can always um, use in any story that you cover because it teaches you how to provide context and the importance of giving background information and you know, knowing what happened before the thing that you're covering, because all of that has to be taken into account when you're telling a story. And so um, I think that was sort of what I, I, that was the reason that I ended up doing it the way that I did is because I felt I just needed to acquire a stronger base of knowledge before I actually went out into the world and started telling people about things. Okay, interesting. So I've been told in Ottawa, you were quite the ball hockey player. <laughs> well, this sounds like inside information. Like somebody's, what, do you have a deep throat, like giving you envelopes on my I, uh, well, athletic abilities? I, I Sure, sure, yes. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, I, is it true? Is it not true? Is it? It is very true. It is. I, uh, Tell yes, me about I, this, this career of yours. <laughs> this is my plan B. Um, uh, no, well, I had just been playing ball hockey in Calgary, which was a really big community sport uh, okay. since I was in high school. Yeah. And that continued into university. I, I'm happy to know that people still remember me in my glory days. <laughs> uh, so my, my, my cousin, Shamir Kanji. You know what? I thought it, I thought about him. I was like, I bet you it was Shamir. I don't even know if you know him, but I just know Ottawa, Shamir. It, it's got to be Shamir. Yeah. Oh, that was nice of him. Yeah. Well, we played together for many years. Okay. Yeah. It's and funny that you thought of him in Ottawa. It's. I know. I, I, I associate him with Ottawa. When uh, my days when in he, Ottawa. When he got married, I, I uh, his brother and I uh, were sort of uh, officiating his. Uh, uh, his wedding, and um, he just would not stop talking about Ottawa. He was telling everybody to move there, and you yeah, need that to sounds move like him. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so ball that hockey, sounds about that, right. Ball hockey will be sort of a second career, maybe. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed, but um, <laughs> there, there, there was a period. I did have my heyday, and it was, it was definitely. Um, 
one of my favorite pastimes. It was fun in in Ottawa because you you didn't have a large um, group of players like you did in Calgary and in Edmonton. So you were always playing like girls ball hockey or or guys ball hockey in Alberta, but in Ottawa there weren't enough people, so you would always be playing co-ed. Okay. And so that kind of um, I felt like that just sort of changed the game a little bit for me. And I was able to learn more and, you know, end up, ended up, I think, just playing better because I, w- I, f- I was more challenged with all the players and the way that they would do the teams whenever we would play. So it was really fun. Nice. I just found out yesterday um, just by you know, listening to, to the radio um, that there's a, an actual ball hockey world championship ball hockey tournaments. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. There is world championships for everything. That's crazy you know? like for ball hockey. I, I just yeah. thought that was things you did in the neighborhood. I didn't know it was like oh, a serious I, thing you could do. I I once I once won the uh, national air guitar championship when I was in New Brunswick. So. I can't, tell if you're, I can't tell if you're pulling my leg or not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, was, I was this close to going to Worlds, man. You're lying this to close. me. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's the sad thing. <laughs> you, you do a lot of things to pass the time when you're living in a small town. I'll tell you that. Okay, so listen, let, let's, let's your, your, your uh, podcast debut of playing air guitar um like what's what song did you play to get like what was your your song that you would play that would put you over the top I you know what's so weird is it was so long ago I can't even remember oh yeah you know what it was uh smoke on the water wow Mm -hmm. that was the one that that's the one that that won me won me the prize, but it's been so long. I I I, I haven't brushed up on my technique. Oh, I was going to ask know, if you I, could play no, some air guitar. No, I, I can't. I cannot. Oh. No, not for the people. This is <laughs> this requires a lot of practice. So. Okay. Well, next time you co- next time you come yeah. on, I want you to practice a bit. I know. And, and I when know. you come on, you play some uh, smoke on the water air guitar for us. Yeah. That is, that is something I had blocked from my memory until oh, no. now <laughs> with good reason. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, so you, you graduate from Western mm-hmm. with your, your master's in journalism. Mm-hmm. You've got an undergrad in history mm-hmm. from, uh, from Ottawa. Um, you felt prepared, ready to go out, tackle the world, tell stories well, I I had applied for a scholarship with CBC right before the end of my master's. Okay. And I felt like I ha- had uh, very little chance of getting it. I just thought it was super competitive and I didn't expect anything. But I think that would start my path on just applying for things, you know? Yeah. And putting your name out there and learning to accept rejection. But I got it. And, you know, it's so funny because I remember just thinking, because they, you know, I was still in London. And so we took the train into Toronto for the interview. And um, I remember just like having my head in my hands, the whole train ride back being like, I can't believe I told them that. I can't believe that I said that because somehow, I don't know even how the conversation started, but I told them in that interview that I never saw myself represented on the CBC at the time. This was 2003. Okay. Okay. And I told them that they needed to have better voices and they didn't have any diversity. And it was crazy to me that I would watch their newscast and not feel seen. And I was like, why would I say that? Why would I am not even, I don't have a job with them. I don't, what, why would, why would I think that that would be what, you know, sells me? And I don't even remember how it came up. I mean, maybe they just, I don't even think they asked me a question related to that. I think I, I don't even remember. So anyways, I just, what I do remember is how mortified I was getting home because I couldn't believe that I opened my mouth when I shouldn't have, and I should have just been, you know, 
um, quieter about those things. But then in the end, they hired me and it would, you know, remind me every day that you have to speak up. So I want to I want to talk about that because, I mean, it doesn't sound like a long time ago. It's 2003. Um, I'm trying to remember when we started in the, you know, in in the zeitgeist of social media or just media in general, we started having these conversations about Mm. representation. Um, I, I can't remember, were we having these conversations or was it, you know, just certain people were having this, you know, in, in the, the back rooms of wherever that we needed more. Like, what what prompted you to have the courage to to, to speak to power that way? Well, I don't think I had courage. I think it for me it was just uh, naivety, I guess, because mm. it must have been something like they must have asked me, you know, well, what do you think about our newscast? You know, okay. or what would you change or something like that. And I think that's where it came from. And I, I didn't, you know, I think at that age, like you don't really know how to filter yourself in job interviews yet, you know? And so you think if someone asks you a question, like you answer it, honestly. Yeah. And, and now that is something that I live by, but I know that not everyone has the luxury of doing that or being able to do that. And um, I think at the time, it wasn't really a conversation that news outlets were having. I Mm. think it started because you, you, you started seeing like more um, personalities on air, like slowly. And, and then, you know, a few more people became reporters and, you know, it kind of grew from there. And so now I, I, I'm happy to, see that especially Ismailis and Canadian media have the luxury of kind of taking that for granted. Like there's there's lots. Yeah. So so many of us. Um, And that's, (laughs) (laughs) no, that's awesome. But it wasn't always like that. And, you know, like I, I feel like I stood on the shoulders of people like Ian Hannah Mansing and Suhana Marchand um, I can't think of many more that I was able to look up to when I started. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, I was able to open the door for enough people that now people don't like, don't really even think about it. And parents are actually encouraging their kids to go into journalism. Like, what is that? I wish, you know, that was something when I was growing up would have made my life easier. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, that, I guess, has been the benefit of <laughs> of small speaking ups over the course of that's amazing years. that is amazing um so you get hired by cbc was it new brunswick where they sent you first i worked in toronto first okay. with um like arts and culture mm-hmm. and then um they actually sent me to New Brunswick to get on-air experience which was not my intention I had no plans to be on TV uh, let alone to be in front of the camera and I only found out later that the reason why they did that was because when my master's program professor wrote a reference letter for me and she didn't tell me what was in it because at that time it was just like sent directly to the company and you never saw it. Yeah. Someone just happened to mention it to me like a year later that she said she needs to be on air and you guys need to nurture that. She has the, you know, she has the raw um, talent, but she, she needs help or whatever she needs, you know? Yeah. So um, that was really like, it, it, it's sort of like a reminder of all the people that, Wow. you know, do these, you know, what may seem like little things that end up being game changers for you. And um, those are really the people like these little angels that kind of help you along the way when, Wait. you know, sometimes you might be struggling. So what did you want to do at CBC when you started? 
Um, well, I wanted to work in arts and culture and, and work behind the scenes and, and do producing and like work okay. on like fashion file. And at that time, there was a lot of those like hot type, you know, those, um, current affairs shows, yeah. um, in entertainment. And so I, I had like, you know, I was like, oh my God, if I can get on one of those shows, if I can just get lunch for the host one day, I will feel like I have made it, you know, that was yeah, that was me dreaming big. And so um, then it it kind of, you know, when they sent me to do on-air work, um, I kind of just fell in love with hard news and like local news and okay. being able to tell a different story every day and finding ideas in your community. And, um, and so when my time was up there, they said, well, do you want to go back to Toronto and kind of be anonymous because <laughs> there's so many people in Toronto doing, you know, all these things be behind the scenes, or do you want to stay here and get better at being on air? And that was sort of like the first turning point in my career because, um, you know, it was a commitment. They were like, you have to be here for at least two years. You're going to, be lonely it's a small town you know you're gonna have to move your whole life here and you're coming from the big city like it there'll be a lot of changes and I said I'll do it and it was you know up to that point two of the best years of my life there it was super fun I made lifelong friends I learned so much about you know being in a small community and how different it is like rural life from being in the big city and you know, it's really um, informed my storytelling because wow. I never forget that when you're trying to connect people, you can't forget that there's a whole, you know, ecosystem of rural communities that often feel like they're left behind in story mm. coverage, you know? We've learned a lot about that over the past uh number of years recently for sure mm -hmm. I want to ask you about your first story do you remember it I don't remember my first story I remember my first story on the national okay. which was about three weeks it was the funniest thing because it was about three weeks after I had been on air which like does not happen um you know because I, I was still really young and um uh, it was about a 14-year-old girl who was playing soccer at a tournament. And I think she had come from another city. And she was struck by lightning and died in the middle Whoa. of the game. And people were there and watched it happen. You know, young kids and her friends. And oh so, goodness. you know, the story was sort of about the sequence of events you know, and also why these kids were still allowed to play in an open field when there was a storm coming, you know? So, um, and because I was the, like, you know, the, the way things worked, I guess, in the Atlantic provinces is that you didn't have as many national reporters as um, elsewhere in the country. And so I was the only one available to cover the story and they put me on it and, um, and that was the first time that I made it on the national, which was really exciting moment to hear Peter Mansbridge at the time say my name. Um, but what was really cool is when I left CBC uh, last year, um, the producer who vetted that story, like vetted that first story, sent me an email and said, I, you know, I never told you this, but I remember your, that script, that was your first story on the national. And I remember that I never had to change a thing. And that just told me that, you know, you were, you were sort of, um, destined to do, to do like the work. And I just thought that was such a nice full circle moment. Well, that is amazing. You, you obviously went to LA, but where, what, what stops along the way before you got to LA? Did you make? Oh gosh. So after New Brunswick, I went back home to Calgary 
And okay. I worked there at CBC Calgary for five years. Yeah. And then I moved to Toronto and was there for five years and then moved to LA for five years and um, I'm now in Atlanta. So tell, so tell many me stops. about... And a year in Kenya. I did a year in Kenya before I went to Toronto. Oh, was that like a, a, a sabbatical? Or... Yeah, yeah. I, w- I had hit a point, I think... Um, uh, you know, probably about four years into my time in Calgary where I had wanted a bit of a change and was hoping to get some foreign, uh, reporting experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I accepted a fellowship with Aga Khan Foundation Canada, um, to go to Kenya for a year and report with the nation media group. And, it was a really scary leap. And my parents were just like, why, oh, why would you go back to the country we literally like left from, what you know, was this? immigrants? Um, it was in 2008. Okay. 2008. All yeah. Right. And, and that, that year is significant because it was, it was at that time that uh, Kenya was experiencing the post-election violence and uh there it was it was a dangerous place to be for a while um you know because of politics and so of course that would be when i would decide to go there (laughs) and you know to my parents credit man they they ended up supporting me and um trusted that i would be okay so kudos to them (laughs) Because now as a parent, I totally get it. I totally get, you know, wow. worrying about your your child's safety, no matter how old they are. Yeah, it was we. Um, so my wife is from from uh, from Kenya and we went back. I went for the first time in 2010. Okay. Um, I think it was during World Cup. So we, we mm. took a week to go to South Africa as well. Uh, but there was it was like a, a culture shock. It was just strange. The roads, um, having drivers. Yeah. Uh, you don't open your window and just have your hand, you know, arm hanging out and enjoying the breeze. You don't do stuff like that. Um, yeah, bars and all the window. It was just strange, very strange. But it was. It was. I remember in 2010. We were so close to like moving there. Yeah. Because yeah, just because. Why? There was so much opportunity. It was, it, it it felt like, it felt like the beginning of something. It was like you know you you miss the dot com, you miss all these things, and yeah. but here is East Africa, and here's like so much opportunity. Yeah. Um, well, it's a hub, you know. It's Nairobi in particular is yeah. A, a, it's a big connector in in, in many industries and. It, it was fascinating to watch it um, operate because, you know, it was really at the center of things and still yeah. still is. But yeah, at the time it was really eye-opening. Have you been back since? No, I haven't. Um, you know, eventually our plan is to, my husband's family is from South Africa. And so okay. our plan is to eventually, you know, um, in a couple of years when our son is a little bit older, do like a, an African roots trip and spend time in South Africa, spend time in, um, Kenya and where my mom is from Tanzania and, and really kind of, uh, show him, you know, his ancestral homes. So, yeah. So, but, you know, we're, we're still waiting on that, obviously, but it was, um, you know, it was interesting because I hear what you're saying, and I think it's 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 really different when you're living there versus visiting yes. because um, you're you know you're visiting as a as a foreigner and you can you can stay in certain areas and you can afford to take taxis everywhere and you know um, generally enjoy your life with a little bit less uh, certainty than you would in Canada, but in general, you know, you have a reasonable amount of security and um the way that that it worked for us was that we really had to be involved and a part of the 
African community. And so we lived um, in town. And um, for people who might not know what that means, you know, Nairobi is very segregated. So you have the areas where like Ismailis live, you have in town, which is predominantly um, Black African. And then you have, you know, the rural communities. Um, And so, you know, I stood out like a sore thumb, like anywhere I walked. But most of my friends were my coworkers. And spending time with them and going out with them and just like being invited to their homes for meals and stuff like that allowed me to just see this complete other side of the city. And, um, it was so, uh, enlightening. And so I just, I had, I have such fond memories of being there and the people that I met and the kindness and just, you know, a lot of, um, like warmth, you know, and even though like we came from such different worlds and, um, and our upbringings are really different, but we just, we, you know, we, we learned a lot from each other. So it was a really, a really great experience. I ended up kind of, I went there to get professional experience and I came back with all this personal growth and it was like a really, um, great year for me for that. And I, not to mention that I was able to just relate to my parents in a completely different way. Like, of you course. know, yeah. they, cause like that, you know, I think in a lot of ways they had deliberately like forgotten a lot of their fondest memories of growing up because you leave that place and, you know, you haven't really gone back and you just try to start a new life somewhere. And, you know, yeah. they had a really, they had a really, for the most part, like, um, enjoyable, um, upbringing themselves, uh, uh, until, you know, basically they had us and realized they needed to, <laughs> you know, have a better healthcare and education system yeah. for their kids. And so they made all these sacrifices, but, you know, I got to see like where they lived and where they met and, you know, where they would go to have like food after and where they went on dates and, and, you know, a lot like that, changed the way I saw my parents you know like they were actual people they were like they had a life you know before me they were cool um and so like our just our dinner conversations became so much so much richer because of that trip even though they were so uh hesitant about me going in the first place so that was a really lovely outcome have they ever been back no, no they've not gone back. They're so Canadian. Like they are just, they, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that they would be able to handle the, the um, controlled chaos that exists there. Like, I think that they would just be like, whoa, what is happening? Even though they once were part of it. They, yeah, uh, yeah they just, they prefer the calm and tranquility um, of Canadian life. I think they, they like, they like the order. The order, exactly. That they really, really do. They will take the snow and the, the cold weather over, um, you know, chaos and uh, uh, instability. I guess is the word. Sure. How did you end up going to LA? What was that about? Well, so my husband is a journalist as well. Oops. Yeah. And um, he was working. Uh, in well, we were obviously both working in Toronto, and um, yeah. he got an offer to become the correspondent for CBC in LA. And okay. it, it happened like a month after our son was born. Okay, Pre- prematurely, by the way. So he was in the hospital, <laughs> and we were like completely engrossed in him being in the intensive care unit and. Um, trying to like take care of him, not sure how um, his health would be. And we get this call as we're just, you know, experiencing this very significant emotional roller coaster that he got the job in LA and does he want to go? And so we had to make this like life-changing decision while we were dealing with a life-changing situation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we had shared vows at our wedding specifically saying like we would never stand in the way of each other's opportunities even once we got married and like why would I say that in our vows why would I do that why who does that with witnesses (laughs) you know (laughs) and so so he'll always use that against me now 
but um, you know, in the end, it was like an opportunity that we couldn't refuse because it really was his his dream job at the time. And yeah, yeah, um, you know, we kind of realized that life is too short not to take those calculated risks, especially when you're being given opportunities. So we we picked up, and once our son got out of the hospital. We uh, reluctantly flew him um, on a plane with a lot of germs because at the time, like he was still so tiny. I think he was like six weeks. And wow. um, <laughs> and, uh, and we moved and we sold our house in Toronto and started a new life in L.A. In L.A. with all the smog. and Yeah, I mean, there's a fair bit of smog. It's gotten better, you know, but L.A. is like... Uh, it, it took a couple of years to adjust just to all the changes, I think, of being like in the States and, you know, all the differences of moving to another city. But I really loved it. It's such a fantastic nice. place. Yeah. And, it's just and, and, in... Sorry, go ahead. Finish off. Sorry. No, it just it, it allowed like such a because you can be outside like all year round, you have this completely different lifestyle where you're just always active and doing things and it's part of your day. And um, there is a sense of wellness that I have just not experienced anywhere else for that reason, you know, because you, you're always, you always want to be outside enjoying life, you know, and then work is, is, is woven into that, but you're not, living to work and it's this yeah it was it was a great lesson in just living well so I really really enjoyed it nice and you kept your your job at CBC as well or did you sort of had to yeah it was really it was really interesting because I was on maternity leave at the time that's right so they kind of couldn't really contact me about anything so we just had to take the risk and then hope that everything would work out okay. And, um, you know, when I got off my mat leave, um, I pitched to them, like, listen, I'm, I was an entertainment reporter in Toronto. How can you not benefit from having an entertainment reporter in LA? Like just kind of let's try it out. And, um, what was supposed to be kind of just like a short term gig just to, you know, see how it went ended up being five years and I just was able to do some really fantastic storytelling while I was there and learn a lot um, about uh, you know the LA culture you know because it's so full of the entertainment industry workers you just you learn a lot about perseverance and persistence and um you know, failing and trying again and again and again. And it was, it was quite inspiring when you see how many people, you know, are willing to risk it all just to be an actor or a writer or a um, editor or, you know, uh, do something that they're really passionate about in an artistic field. So it was, it was really a, a different kind of cool energy in that city. Do you, I know you were only, you were still, you were there, what, five years? Mm-hmm. In LA, did you? I'm curious if you met anyone there before they got huge. Like maybe you interviewed them, maybe you didn't, but you saw them in passing. You knew of them, and all of you know. And then a year later, or six months later, <coughs> they're the talk of the town. Did 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 you meet anyone like that? You know, my husband did. Does that count? Sure. Because he, he's you know we we would have to go to a lot of industry events and there was one that he attended that I couldn't make of course the one that I couldn't go to and um he met uh you know this guy that was sort of like starting out in um the acting world like you could tell his first few films that he was good but nobody really knew his name so my husband who's a total introvert like doesn't have long chats with strangers normally was just talking with this guy for like an hour about life and they you know bonded and you know (laughs) a couple years later um my husband sees him on tv and he's like I know that guy and it was Rami Malek wow who eventually by which which is actually a really funny trajectory because 
that was the beginning of our time in LA. And by the time we left LA, he had won an Oscar. So that is, you know, um, I think pretty indicative of how quickly someone can skyrocket when they're talented. That quickly, eh? Well, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, obviously he worked very hard leading up to that point, but then once he, he got those first few roles, you know, it, it, um, it moved pretty quickly from there. Well, like, I'll tell you the funny thing about LA is just how common it is to like see, you know, famous people around and Mm -hmm. you just, you just keep walking. Like you're, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Like I remember seeing like Justin Bieber hiking once and we were on a hiking trail. Yeah. I I mean, hiking like, um, celebrity hiking, it's like Runyon Canyon. So it's, it's, it's like, it's a place to be seen, you know? Um, and like Issa Rae, we were having lunch at a place in Beverly Hills and she was there and, um, who else? Like, just a lot. It, it's, it's a, it's a really like, it's so weird to see people that you, you know, used to only watch on TV and they're just everywhere. It's, it's such a like uh, surreal kind of existence. Yeah. And I, I, rem- I even remember um, we went to someone's house for a Canadian Thanksgiving party. Okay. And, um, you know, they were like, oh, you guys, like, sorry, parking's going to be a real problem because our neighbors are having a party too. And we were like, oh, like, that's weird. And as we're walking up, we see that their neighbor is like Kevin Bacon. And, you know, it's just this funny, like, <laughs> every, everything is just so normal there. And, I, you know, as an outsider and then a Canadian, you're just like, I will never get used to this, you know? Yeah. It's very... It's very weird. So that that's that was just like a funny part of living there. So were you mainly doing entertainment stories while you were in LA? Um, I was doing entertainment um, up until COVID hit, and then um, because I had done so much hard news in the past, I yeah. switched to covering all of the developments in California. Okay, um, and so that involved a lot of um like health coverage and political coverage and um so in my last you know I guess year there that I was mainly on that and then eventually when we kind of went back to the entertainment world um the stories I just I think had a different tone after a while you know because okay you you were you weren't attending like you know, red carpet events and, you know, it, everything was kind of tied into what was happening in the world. And so, yeah. um, you know, it, the coverage and the storytelling became a little bit different. Um, you were, I just realized you were there for all of Trump. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Obama to Trump. That's right. Obama, yeah. Um, as a Canadian living in the States at that time, um, was it everything we saw like on, on, on CBC here at home or, or, or on the news? I mean, you're a bit sheltered, I think, living in California okay. and especially L.A. Yeah, because. It's very progressive and it's got a lot of Canadian values, and mm-hmm. so you don't really feel like you're in a foreign land. Um, But, you know, there there were a lot of stories that were really hard to cover. And, you know, one of them was the Muslim ban um, on visas. Mm. Um, And when that decree first came down, I remember... Um, having to cover this story at an award show because we had to ask actors and um, filmmakers what they thought about it because one of the really big filmmakers behind a um, award um, nominated film at that time couldn't get into the country because he was from um, I, I think it was Iran and same with some of the filmmakers who were from Syria um, they were having trouble getting in on visas. And so, you know, you started seeing all this interconnection and overlap between like pop culture and politics and um, representation that you hadn't necessarily seen in such a stark way before. Mm-hmm. And so 
when you're living somewhere like LA, it kind of pushed people to become more aware of, you know, diversity issues in Hollywood, for example. And um, that was a select, um, that was a select group of people based on their collective values. That was not necessarily representative of the rest of the U.S. Sure, sure. So I think when, you know, I was, I feel fortunate to have kind of been a little bit buffered by living in California at the time. Um, and, you know, obviously as someone raising a son who is, you know, mixed race and Muslim, um, that has a lot of repercussions for how um, I see the country and see his future. And at the time, you know, at, at times it was quite disheartening. So mm. um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, you know, I think in general for people, but I think I had a bit of an easier time because I was sheltered in LA. Yeah. And then you come to Atlanta, swing state Atlanta. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because it's like, you know, we had such an important decision to make at that time, my husband and I, because, you know, coming to the deep south as an interracial couple and also, you know, Canadians who can go home whenever we want, you know, thankfully. Um, it was really difficult, you know, what, what exactly should we do? And I think we kind of came to the decision again, my husband got a really good opportunity, um, with CNN, which is partly based in Atlanta, which is the reason why we moved here. But it kind of was like, if we're going to really do this, like really start being journalists in the U S you need to know the U S and California is not what all of the U.S. is, you know, it's a very select part of the U.S. So we have to do what we did in Canada and we have to learn about the country. And that only happens when you're living here and coming to the deep South in such a critical time was like just one of the most fascinating. um, It was one of the most fascinating times to be here, obviously. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but I mean, we we never thought that it would be like that fascinating, but uh, it, it really has been a completely different experience on so many levels. So mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot, um, you know, about American history through the eyes of the South. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a whole new world here. Wow. Um, I don't know if you know my sister, but she has a son, she has two sons. One of them is also premature, preemie baby. Mm. Um, Faiza, do you know Faiza, Faiza Kanji? I might by face. Where does she live? In Toronto? She's in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. She's in Toronto. I yeah. I might know her by face, but I don't know her by name. Um, anyways, the, the, the question I wanted to ask you, because she's uh, like her, her two boys are also mixed race. Mm-hmm. And... I think her eldest might be five. And I remember speaking with her, uh, asking her whether she's had the talk uh, with her, with her, with her boy, especially Mm -hmm. after um, everything that has happened recently, especially last year. Um, And I hope you don't mind me asking this and let me know if if, you don't, you don't want to chat about it, but I'm curious whether your husband and you've had to, is, is it too early to have had that talk? Have you had the talk? I'm curious about how you've navigated that. We have. For people wow. who don't know what that is, um, it's an unfortunate but all too common conversation that parents will often have to have with their um, you know, mixed race or black children, basically to warn them to behave uh in an appropriate manner, an extremely um, <clears throat> obedient manner if they face law enforcement. Um, and it's particularly uh, important here in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, obviously for many reasons, but 
in LA, we had to do it because the LAPD is, has had uh, so many incidences of racial profiling that are um, very well documented. And um, we, at the time, um, he was, I think, about four and a half. Wow. And yeah, um, I mean, we had to tell him that like under no circumstances was he, you know, he was sort of at the age where he was kind of like learning about um, like guns and playing like little games and things like that. And he had, you know, pointed his finger in the form of a, of a gun, like, um, and we had to tell him like under no circumstances should he ever, ever, ever do that in public? Mm-hmm. And if he ever does, like, it could be a reason that he gets very badly hurt if the police see him. And, you know, to have to tell, like, a child that is horrific. Yeah. Um, but it's necessary. And, you know, even if you think that it's it's never going to happen. And it's, you know, we're overreacting. Like there's too many cases and incidents of, um, you know, misunderstandings or just terrible outcomes because of one move. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's not, it's not right that kids have to deal with that um but it's the reality and so yeah we have and um you know I think the other layer of that is things that I never really had to consider as a Canadian which is you know I I was fortunate enough to have a lot of um friends in LA who had been there for many years but who were Canadian and so one of the things that they kind of reminded me of what when our son started going to school and, you know, possibly having play dates at other people's homes. And they kind of said, you know, you really have to have a talk with the parents. And I was like, oh, you know, like about supervision, like, I don't get it. And they were like, no, like you have to find out if they have guns in the house and if they have guns in the house, are they locked up? And I, I never, that's not even something that's on my radar, you know, but that is a reality of, American living. And so, you know, there are layers of um, security, I think, that you, these discussions that you have to have that, um, as parents, that, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, you never really had to think about before. And so that, that is, yeah, it's not, it's not always easy. And as he gets older, like, we will have to have more in-depth conversations about, um, his you know behavior as he becomes a teenager and mm-hmm. you know grows up if if we decide to stay here but you know the flip side of things is that we've also been able to use um real life examples of um you know civil rights and the black lives matter movement and and show him like what's happening and why and he's making connections which oh, i find amazing. fascinating to watch a child do this because we will read a book about rosa parks and then when he was seeing the um beginnings of the black lives matter movement um protests in la he made the connection sort of when we explained to him what they were about and he said you know this is the same thing that happened with rosa parks that there was inequality and she was fighting for it. Oh, that's so, amazing. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, Thank you for a, sharing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough reality here, but it it can also be really instructive. And, yeah, um, you know, it, it is the world that we're living in and the, the wider that his eyes are open, the more that he can do to... help change what needs to be changed i saw i saw that you i don't know if you live in the same neighborhood but i think it was on your instagram you had a picture of the home that martin luther king grew up in is that is that yeah right yeah no that's not yes yeah you're right that so that was that's in um in downtown atlanta um so we're not far from there but uh it was i mean to have that kind of like history lesson in your backyard yeah. um, is really 
is really cool. So on Martin Luther King Day here, we we went and took a tour around, wow. like took a walk, a self-guided tour, um, just yeah. around the neighborhood and um, his old house. And yeah, it was pretty cool to see, um, you know, the how how they preserved it and how much they value that neighborhood and and what it mm-hmm. what it did for the civil rights movement thanks so much for sharing that i really appreciate it i, I know yeah no no problem yeah yeah um listen i i, I we're, we're up against the clock i don't want to keep you for too much longer uh but if you don't mind it i'd like to to, to end off on maybe a light question if that's okay with okay. you um I happen to have a music podcast uh, Ooh, as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and as I was, uh, as, as my research team, uh, research team of one, um, <laughs> was was looking at stuff, I, I saw that the first concert you ever went to yeah. was De- Depeche Mode. That's right. Pretty cool. That's right. In Calgary. Yeah. They came to when Calgary. When you, yeah, A, they came to Calgary and B, it was at a time when you had to like camp out to get yeah. tickets for Ticketmaster. Yeah, yeah. You had to like go to the mall where their office was. And yeah. so my mom came with us and we like waited for hours to get tickets. Yeah. And uh, she came with us to the concert too, my sister and I. Oh, wow. She's like, well, I'm, I can't let you go alone. You guys are too young. So I'm coming. And then she was like right in there, like waving her hands. And yeah, it was a, it was a moment. That is awesome. Are you a big uh, concert goer? Obviously um, not this past year, but. Yeah, yeah, pre- yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think I've seen like most of the um, people on my list, you know, that I wanted to see live. Um and I really, I, I think I tend to prefer like smaller, intimate concerts. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the nice thing about being in LA is like any day of the week, you could go and, you know, enjoy live music, whether it's like a small um, theater or like a larger, you know, venue like the Hollywood Bowl yeah. um, and Atlanta I hear is the same we haven't had the chance to experience that too much yet but we we went to one like outdoor classical concert yeah. which was really cool by Candlelight um, last summer which was really which is really cool but you know Atlanta has more of that like raw music scene and and, and hip-hop and you know so I'm looking forward to to seeing more when things hopefully open up nice my later first in the concert year. My first concert was with Shummer, of course. <laughs> oh, we Pearl were... Jam. Was it Pearl Jam? <laughs> no. It was not Pearl This is years and years and years ago. Mm. Uh, it was my brother and I, Shummer and his brother and his parents, I think. We went to see on New Year's Eve. I don't know if you remember these bands. Uh, OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. And remember. Thompson Twins. Wow. At uh at Maple Leaf Gardens before it uh, got That is uh, quite a memory. Yeah, yeah. Many Thompson twins. Thompson twins. Yeah, you remember those I guys? Like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I definitely do. I I would love to uh remind him of that because he uh he is yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize <laughs> that goes way back. It was way back. And in fact, we were supposed to go to uh, Pearl Jam concert last year before everything got shut down. Oh, that, I know. I rem- Yeah, I remember that. That's too yeah. bad. That's like his top. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's been to musician. probably every show that they've played in uh, that's close by. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is fanatic about them. Um Zuleika, tell me one thing. We'll end it off here. Tell me one thing most people don't know about you. Um, well, when I finished my stint in Bathurst, I had kind of promised myself that, you know, I would do my two years there and 
learn as much as I could, but I'd also like save enough money to buy my first place. And so when I moved back to Calgary, that's what I did. And I put a down payment like with no help from anybody um, at the age of 27. And uh, I paid that place off. So I am, yeah. And it's uh, as a, I think as a woman and a woman of color and someone who, you know, grew up in like a rather traditional home, but also where we were really taught the importance of financial independence. Um, You know, that is sort of like a love letter to my parents because they didn't provide the money because um, I would never ask them for that, but they provided the tools that I needed to be able to do something like that at a young age and, um, and build on it. Right. Because I think a lot of our families came to Canada having left behind a lot of their wealth or didn't have wealth to begin with, or had to start from scratch. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to kind of just be able to show them that their sacrifices were not done in vain and that we're trying to build something for future generations and like ownership is, you know, I mean, even Tyler Perry says that's the way to do it. You have to own (laughs) things, right? Yeah. You want to build your community. You have to own them. So, um, so yeah, I was able to do that and it's a proud moment for me. And it's something that I don't tell a lot of people because, (laughs) um, it's, it's, generally private but now people know <laughs> so, awesome there you go Zuleika, thank you so much for your your time um and your generosity uh this has been a lot of fun for me i hope you had a good time as well yeah thanks for having me nice to see you